And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's January the 10th. 10th day of the year. These remain till the year's over with. A lot of things happened on this date in history. 49 B.C., Julius Caesar crossed the Rubicon, signaling the start of the Civil War. The, uh, let's see, the 1072, Robert Guscard conquers Palermo and Sicily for the Normans. 1430, Philip the Good, Duke of Burgundy, established the Order of the Golden Fleece, the most prestigious, exclusive, and expensive order of chivalry in the world. And let's see. 1645, Archbishop William Laud is beheaded for treason at the Tower of London. And in 1776, Thomas Paine published his pamphlet, Common Sense, which is something that is in short supply in government today. The uh, 1791, the Siege of Dunlap Station begins near Cincinnati during the Northwest Indian War. 1812, the first steamboat on the Ohio River or the Mississippi River arrives in New Orleans 82 days after departing from Pittsburgh. 1861, Florida becomes the third state to secede from the Union, the beginning of the Civil War. 1870, John D. Rockefeller incorporated Standard Oil. And... 1920, League of Nations Covenant automatically enters into force after the Treaty of Versailles ratified by Germany. 1927, Fritz Lang's futuristic film Metropolis is released in Germany. 1941, the Greek army captures Klesura. And in 46, the first General Assembly of the United Nations assembles in the Methodist Central Hall in Westminster. 51 nations are represented. The uh, 1946 Army Signal Corps successfully conducts Project Diana, bouncing radio waves off the moon and receiving the reflected signals. Gee, that sounds exciting. Well, you know, we have talked about a lot of things in history. Because um, as I've always said... If you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. And, you know, there's a lot of folks in our government who, unfortunately, figure if they keep doing the same things, they'll get a different outcome. Unusually optimistic. Um, 2015, a traffic accident between an oil tanker and passenger coach en route to Shikarpur from Karachi on the Pakistani National Highway near uh, Gushan el-Hadid. Karachi kills 62. And in 2019, a 13-year-old American girl named Jamie Klaus was found alive in Gordon, Wisconsin after being kidnapped 88 days earlier from her parents' home while they were murdered. Well, we've talked about a lot of Bizarre things from my book, uh, Vampires, Werewolves, and Things Go Bump in the Night, which is available on Amazon, I might add. 
uh, we're going to talk about poltergeist today. Now, in folklore and parapsychology, a poltergeist is a type of ghost or other supernatural being supposedly responsible for physical disturbances such as loud noises and objects moving around or being destroyed. Uh, most accounts of poltergeist describe movement or levitation of objects such as furniture and cutlery or noises such as knocking on doors or windows. And poltergeists have also been claimed to be capable of pinching and biting and hitting and tripping people. You know, poltergeists occupy numerous niches in cultural folklore. Traditionally been described as troublesome spirits who haunt a particular person instead of a specific location. Such alleged poltergeist manifestations have been reported in many cultures and countries, including the U.S., Japan, Brazil, Australia, and most European nations. There are many accounts dating back to the first century. Now, the, the word poltergeist comes from the German words poltern, to make sound, and geist, or ghost or spirit. And the term itself roughly translates as noisy ghost or... You know, many claim poltergeist events have proved to, on investigation, to be pranks. According to research in animalistic psychology, claims of poltergeist activity can be explained by psychological factors such as illusion and memory lapses and wishful thinking. A study in 1998 uh, determined that poltergeist experiences are delusions resulting from the affective and cognitive dynamics of the percipient's interpretation of ambiguous stimuli. In other words, they imagine it. Attempts have also been made to explain scientific uh, poltergeist disturbances that have not been traced to fraud or psychological factors. Physical investigator, uh, excuse me, the psychical investigator, Guy William Lambert, proposed a geophysical explanation for poltergeist activity, which results from the activity of underground water and a number of other factors. According to Lambert, many reported poltergeist incidents can be accounted for by physical causes such as subterranean rivers, tidal patterns, geological factors, and shifts in the house foundation and climate changes. His theory was that an underground water course may flow under haunted locations, and after heavy rainfall, the stream could cause structural movement of the property, possibly causing the house to vibrate and move objects. Now that's really reaching to find a logical explanation for something totally unexplainable. David Turner, retired physical chemist, suggested ball lightning, another phenomena, could cause um, inanimate objects to move erratically. Skeptics such as Milburn Christopher have found that some causes of poltergeist activity can be attributed to unusual air currents, such as a 1957 case on Cape Cod where downdrafts from an undiscovered chimney uh, was actually uncovered to the elements, became strong enough to blow a mirror off a wall. Um, overturn chairs and knock things off shelves. Then we've got skeptic Joe Nickel, who says that claimed poltergeist incidents uh, typically originate from an individual who's motivated to cause mischief. According to Nickel, in the typical poltergeist outbreak, small objects are hurled through the air by unseen forces, furniture is overturned, or other disturbances occur. Usually just what could be accomplished by a juvenile trickster determined to plague the credulous adults. 
He wrote that uh, reports are often exaggerated by credulous, credulous witnesses. I can't talk. Time and again, in other poltergeist outbreaks, witnesses have reported an object leaping from its resting place, supposedly on its own, when it's likely that the perpetrator had secretly obtained the object sometime early and waited for an opportunity to fling it, even from outside the room, thus supposedly proving he or she was innocent. You know, other investigators have postulated that uh, psychopathology or aggression in the subjects themselves may be responsible for the action of movement of objects in poltergeist cases. Nandor Fodor, who's written a bunch of really interesting books on the uh, the paranormal, proposed poltergeist disturbances are caused by human agents suffering from some form of emotional stress or tension and compared reports of poltergeist activity to hysterical conversion symptoms resulting from emotional tension of the subject. Basically, put into English... Folks are upset, and this is how they get rid of their aggression. You know, poltergeist activity has often been believed to be the work of malicious spirits. According to Alan Carty, the founder of spiritual, uh, Spiritism, uh, poltergeist are manifestations of disembodied spirits of very low level belonging to the sixth class of the third order, believed to be closely associated with the elements such as fire, air, water, and earth. Parapsychologist William Rowell wrote that poltergeist activity can be explained by psychokinesis. You may have that ability and not know it. Uh, some cultures attribute poltergeist activity to the souls of deceased relatives of the family or persons. The books in Jewish mythology, for example, are often described as possessing characteristics of a poltergeist. Then, uh, you know, there's been a number of very famous cases that have... Uh, been written about at length. Borley Rectory in 1937, investigated by Harry Price, who called it the most haunted house in England. Rosenheim Poltergeist case in 1967, investigated by Hans Bender, who claimed that uh, a law firm located in Rosen, uh, Rosenheim in southern Germany experienced disruption of electricity and telephone lines, swinging lamps, and Rotation of a framed picture caused by a 19-year-old secretary who he alleged was a typical poltergeist. Then we got the Black Month of Pontefract. 1977, the Enfield poltergeist. 19, in 1662, we had the Drummer of Tedworth. And one of my favorites is the Bell Witch of Tennessee, which took place from 1817 to 1872. And this uh, entity actually talked to people. Then we have the great Amherst mystery of 1878. Uh, Epworth Rectory, 1716. Geff the Talking Mongoose in 1931. Robbie Mannheim claimed to be uh, demonically possessed after using a Ouija board. This was in 1949. Thornton Road Poltergeist to Birmingham in 1981. Angelique Cotton, about 1846. Tina Resch, 1984. The Stone-Throwing Spook of Little Dixie in 1995. The Canito de Corona Fire Poltergeist uh, in 2004. That's another interesting point. Quite often, uh, poltergeist demonstrate the ability to cause fires. Then we got the Miami Poltergeist in 2008. In England, Barnsley near Sheffield in 2009. 
And then in 2011, we have Jim, the Coventry Poltergeist. A series of articles in March 2011, The Sun reported that Lisa Manning and her children believed they were being disturbed by a poltergeist. Derek Okora visited the Manning's home and claimed he was able to communicate with the spirit. And sometimes, just like the Bell Witch, extensive communication is possible. Well, from poltergeist, let's turn to one of my favorite topics, alien abduction. You know, the, the term alien abduction or abduction phenomena describes subjectively real memories of being taken secretly against one's will by apparently non-human entities and subjected to complex physical and psychological uh, procedures. People who claim to be abducted are usually called abductees or experiencers. I've known a few uh, over the years. When I was doing my show from California, there was a young lady who uh, claimed to have been abducted a number of times who came in for uh, interviews. And some of the, the uh, manifestations she talked about, uh, if they weren't done by aliens, um, there's absolutely no explanation for them. Due to a paucity of objective physical evidence, most scientists and mental health professionals dismiss the phenomena as deception or suggestibility, fantasy proneness, hypnotizability, and false memory syndrome, um, sleep paralysis, psychopathology, psychodynamics, and environmental factors. However, the late uh, Professor John Mack respected Harvard University psychiatrist devoted a substantial amount of time to investigating such cases and eventually concluded that the only phenomenon in psychiatry that adequately explained the patient's syndromes in several of the most compelling cases was post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. As he noted at the time, this would imply that the patient generally believed that the remembered frightening incident really took place. A number of cases, I might point out, uh, the uh, the victim, if you will, uh, only realized they had been abducted uh, after a hypnotic regression. Skeptic Robert Schaefer sees similarity between the aliens depicted in early science fiction films, in particular invaders from Mars, and some of those reported to have actually abducted people. Uh, typical claims involve being subjected to a forced medical examination that emphasizes their reproductive system. Abductees sometimes claim to have been warned against environmental abuse and the dangers of nuclear weapons. And many of those claimed encounters are described as terrifying, and some have been viewed as pleasurable or transformative. It all depends on your outlook. The first alleged alien abduction claimed to be widely publicized was, of course, the famous Betty and Barney Hill abduction in 1961. Reports of the abduction phenomena have been made around the world, but are most common in English-speaking countries, especially the U.S. Contents of the uh, abduction narrative often seem to vary with uh, the home culture of the alleged abductee. But of course, that's the that's the uh, understanding you have of the world which is why it would tend to be that way, I would suspect. Alien abductions have been the subject of conspiracy theories and science fiction storylines. I refer you to the X-Files. 
that has speculated on stealth technology required if the phenomenon were real. The motivations for secrecy on that alien implants could be a positive form of physical evidence. The, uh, you know, there's actually been uh, sufficient studies that there's a, a thorough definition of an abductee. A person must be taken against his or her will from terrestrial surroundings by non-human beings and the beings must take the person to an enclosed place, not terrestrial in appearance, assumed or known to be an alien spacecraft by the witness. Then in this particular place, the person must be subjected to an examination, engaging communication, whether verbal or telepathic, or both. And these experiences can be remembered either consciously or through methods of uh, focused concentration, such as hypnosis. There was a number of people who have um, are not aware they've been abducted, but then it's determined they have missing time, sometimes several hours. Hypnotic regression usually reveals um, at least what appear to be memories of what happened during the missing time. You know, mainstream scientists reject claims that the phenomenon literally occurs as reported. These are the ivory tower scientists who... Uh, pontificate from great height about what they believe the world um, is actually about. However, there's little doubt that many apparent stable people who report alien abductions believe their experiences are real. As reported in the Harvard University Gazette in 1992, Dr. Mack investigated over 800 claimed abductees and spent countless therapeutic hours with those individuals only to find that what struck him was the ordinariness of the population, including a restaurant owner, several secretaries, a prison guard, college students, university administrators, several homemakers. The majority of abductees, abductees don't appear to be deluded, confabulating, lying, self-dramatizing, or suffering from a clear mental illness. I had the opportunity to meet Dr. Mack here in El Paso. He came for a book signing, and the bookstore forgot to order the books, wouldn't you believe? While uh, psychopathology is indicated in some isolated alien abduction cases, according to Stuart uh, Appel, um, he went on to say assessment by both clinical examination and standardized tests have shown that as a group, abduction experiences are not different from the general population in terms of psychopathology prevalence. Other aspects who've, other experts who have uh, argued that uh, I have notes from which I do my monologues. Sometimes I can't read my own handwriting. Other experts who've argued that abductees' mental health is no better or worse than the average, including psychologist John Wilson and Rima Labow and psychotherapist David Gottlieb. Now, some abduction reports are quite detailed in nature. An entire subculture is developed around the subject, which was support groups on a detailed mythos explaining the reasons for abduction. The various aliens, whether they be greys or reptilians or Nordics, are said to have specific roles, origins, and motivations. Abduction claimants uh, don't always attempt to explain the phenomena, but some take independent research interest in it themselves and explain the lack of greater awareness of alien reduction as a result of either extraterrestrial or governmental interest in the cover-up. You know, as 
One of the cases that uh, I read with great interest involved a man named Antonio Villas Boas. Happened in 1957. Um, and a hill abduction in 1961. They were the first cases of UFO abduction to earn widespread attention. Antonio Villas Boas actually reported being uh, raped by a female um, UFO knot. Though these two cases are sometimes viewed as the earliest abductions. Skeptic Roger Roger uh, Peter Rogerson notes that uh, that assertion is incorrect. The Hill and Boas abductions, he contends, are only the first canonical abduction cases, establishing a template that later abductees and researchers would refine but rarely deviate from. Additionally, he noted purported um, abductions were cited contemporaneously at least as early as 1954. And that the growth of the abduction stories is a far more tangled affair than the uh, entirely unpredisposed official history that uh, we're supposed to believe. Um, the phrase entirely unpredisposed appeared in folklorist Thomas uh, Bullard's study of alien abduction. The argued alien abduction is reported in the 1970s and the 1980s had little precedent in folklore or fiction. Now, alien abduction didn't achieve widespread attention until the 60s. There were a number of similar stories circulating decades earlier. And these early abduction-like accounts have been dubbed uh, paleo-abductions by UFO researcher Jerome Clark. In an 1897 edition of the Stockton, California Daily Mail, Colonel H.G. Shaw claimed he and a friend were harassed by three tall, slender humanoids whose bodies were... Uh, covered with a fine downy hair who tried to kidnap the pair. As I recall the story, they were riding along in a horse and buggy and were uh, waylaid, so to speak. Rogerson writes that the 1955 publication of Harold T. Wilkins' uh, Flying Saucer Uncensored declared that Carl Hunrath and Wilbur Wilkinson, who had claimed they were contacted by aliens, had disappeared under mysterious circumstances. Wilkins re reported uh, speculation that the duo were the victims of alleged abduction by flying saucers. And the UFO contactees of the 50s claimed to have contacted aliens and the substance of contactee narratives in which the beings expressed the intent to help mankind stop nuclear testing, prevent the otherwise inevitable destruction of the human race. Of course, um, they never carried out those particular plans. You know, one early alien abduction claim occurred in the mid-1950s with the Antonio Villas Boas case, which didn't receive a whole lot of attention until years later. Watchful publicity was generated by the Betty and Bernie Hill abduction case of 1961, which culminated in a made-for-TV film movie in 1975 starring James Earl Jones and Estelle Parsons. Well, the Hill incident was probably the prototypical abduction case was perhaps the first in which the claimant described beings later became widely known as the greys in which the beings were said to explicitly identify an extraterrestrial origin. In fact, as I remember, Betty Hill actually drew a map she said she saw in the control room of the UFO, which was of a star system a number of light years away. Dr. Leo uh, Sprinkle, University of Wyoming psychologist, became interested in the abduction phenomenon in the 60s. And for some years, he was probably the only academic figure devoting any time to studying or researching abduction accounts. 
He became convinced of the phenomenon's actuality and was maybe the first to suggest a link between abductions and cattle mutilations. Eventually, Sprinkle came to believe he had himself been abducted by aliens in his youth. He, uh, as you might suggest, uh, suspect, mainstream uh, ivory tower scientists forced him from his job in 1989. Bud Hopkins, an accomplished painter and sculptor, had been interested in UFOs for some years. In the 70s, he became interested in abduction reports and began using hypnosis to extract more detail of dimly remembered events. He soon became a figurehead of the growing abductee subculture. 1980s brought a major degree of mainstream attention to the subject. Forged by Bud Hopkins, novelist Whitler Strieber, historian David Jacobs, and psychiatrist John Mack presented uh, alien abduction as a genuine phenomenon. And also of note in the 80s was the publication of folklorist Dr. Uh, Thomas Bullard's comparative analysis of nearly 300 alleged abductees. With Hopkins and Jacobs and Mack, accounts of alien abduction became a prominent aspect of ufology. There have been earlier abduction reports, the Hills being the best known, but they were believed to be a few and far between and saw rather little attention from ufology and even less attention from mainstream professors or professionals or academics. Jacobs and Hopkins argued that alien abduction was far more common than earlier suspected. Estimate that tens of thousands or more North Americans had been taken by unexplained beings. And going further, Jacobs and Hopkins argued that it was an elaborate process underway in which aliens were attempting to create human-alien hybrids, though the uh, motives for this effort were and are still unknown. There have been anecdotal reports of phantom pregnancy related to UFO encounters at least as early as the 60s, but Bud Hopkins and especially David Jacobs were instrumental in popularizing the idea of widespread systematic interbreeding efforts on the part of the alien intruders. The description of alien encounters as researched and presented by Hopkins and Jacob and Mack were very similar, with slight differences in each researcher's emphasis. The process of selective citation of abductee interviews had supported these variations, and they were sometimes criticized by um, the abductees who uh, presented their own accounts directly, such as Whitley Strieber, um, who fared no better. The involvement of Jacobs and Mack marked uh, something of a sea change in the abduction studies that uh, their efforts were controversial. Both men saw some degree of damage to their professional reputations and to other observers, Jacobs and Mack brought a degree of respectability to the subject. You know, Matheson wrote that if Jacobs' credentials were impressive, then those of Harvard psychiatrist John Mack might seem impeccable in comparison. Uh, Mack was a well-known, highly esteemed psychiatrist, author of over 150 scientific articles, and winner of the Pulitzer Prize for his biography of T.E. Lawrence. Mack became interested in the phenomenon in the late 80s, interviewing over 800 people, and eventually writing two books on the subject. And I've read and got both of the books, and they are quite interesting. In June of 92, Mike and psychiatrist David uh, Pritchard organized a five-day conference at MIT to discuss and debate the abduction phenomena. The uh, conference attracted a wide range of professionals representing a variety of perspectives. And as their thanks for their efforts to focus a modest level of serious scientific attention on the perplexing abduction phenomena by organizing the conference, um, 
Mac and Jacobs were awarded the Ig Nobel Prize in 1993. Writer C.D.B. Bryan attended the conference, initially intending to gather information for a short humorous article for the New Yorker. While attending the conference, though, his view of the subject changed, and he wrote a serious, open-minded book on the phenomena, additionally interviewing many abductees, skeptics, and proponents alike. You know, the precise number of alleged abductees is uncertain. One of the earliest studies of abductions found over 1,700 claimants, while contested surveys uh, argue that 5 to 6% of the general population might have been abducted. You know, in the study investigating the motivations of the alleged abductors, Jenny Randalls found that uh, in each of the four cases out of 50 total where the experiencer was aware uh, and was over 40 years of age or more, they were rejected by the aliens for what they usually inferred to be a medical reason. Randalls concludes the abduction is essentially a young person's experience. Given the reproductive focus of the alleged abductions, it's not surprising that one man reported being rejected because he'd undergone a vasectomy. It could also be partially because people over the age of 40 are less likely to have hormonic or reproductive activity going on. Uh, although abduction and other UFO-related reports are usually made by adults, sometimes young children report similar experiences. These child reports often feature very specific details in common with reports of abduction made by adults, including the circumstances, the narrative, the entities, and the aftermath of the alleged occurrences. Often these young abductees have family members who've reported having abduction experiences. Family involvement in the military or residence near a military base is also common among child abduction claimants. You know, as a category... Some studies show that abductees have psychological characteristics that uh, render their testimony suspect. Others show that as a group, abduction experiences are not different from the general population in terms of psychopathology prevalence. Dr. Elizabeth Slater conducted a blind study of nine abduction claimants and found them to be prone to mildly paranoid thinking, nightmares, and having a weak sexual identity. While Dr. Richard McNally of Harvard Medical School concluded in a similar study of 10 abductees that none of them were suffering from any sort of psychiatric illness. So the jury is still out. There are those that say it's real. There are those that say it's some kind of mental aberration. But the reports keep coming in. You know, alleged abductees are seen by many pro-abduction researchers to have a higher incidence of non-abduction-related paranormal events and abilities. Following an abduction experience, these paranormal abilities and occurrences uh, sometimes seem to become more pronounced. According to investigator Benton Jameson, abduction experiencers who report UFO sightings that should have been but are not reported by independent cooperating witnesses seem, often seem to be uh, psychic personalities in the sense of uh, Jan uh, Ehrenwald. Psychic medium Danielle Agnew uh, recounted multiple abduction experiences in her 2012 book, True Tales of the Tr True Tales of the Truly Weird, greatly detailing communication, technology, and abduction methods of more than one alien race. You know, according to Yvonne Smith, some alleged abductees test positive for lupus despite not showing any symptoms. Although different cases vary in detail, sometimes significantly, some UFO researchers, such as folklorist Thomas Bullard, argue there is a broad, fairly consistent sequence and description of events that make up the typical close encounter of the fourth kind. 
popular but unofficial designation building on Dr. Uh, J. Allen Hynek's uh, classification terminology. Uh, close encounters of the first kind are lights in the sky. Close encounters of the second kind uh, would be uh, coming upon a UFO landed. Uh, the third kind is interaction, and the fourth kind is uh, abduction or some type of, uh, let's say, far beyond normal interaction between humans and aliens. Now, although the features outlined uh, are often reported, there's some disagreement as to exactly how often uh, fourth kind of events do occur. Uh, Bullitt argues most abduction accounts feature the following events, and I'm going to list those. They generally follow the sequence noted, though not all abductions feature all the events. Number one, there's a capture. Abductees somehow rendered incapable of resisting and taken from terrestrial surroundings to an apparent alien spacecraft. Two, there's an examination and uh, some type of procedures. Invasive psychological and uh, physiological procedures uh, take place, and on occasion, uh, simulated behavioral situations, training and testing, or sec even sexual liaisons. Then there's uh, a conference. The alien abductors communicate with the abductee or direct them to interact with specific individuals for some particular purpose. This is typically telepathically, but sometimes using the abductee's own native language. Then there's a tour. The abductee's given a tour of the captor's vessels, though this is disputed by some researchers who consider this particular part of the definition of confabulation of intent when just apparently being taken around to multiple places uh, inside the ship. And, of course, we have the, the well-known uh, instance of lost time. Abductees often rapidly forget the majority of their experience, either result of fear, medical intervention, or both. Then there's the return. Abductees are returned to Earth, occasionally in a different location from where they were allegedly taken or with new injuries or disheveled clothing. And there's theophany. Coinciding with their immediate return, abductees may have a profound sense of love, a high, uh, high similar to those induced by certain drugs, or a mystical experience accompanied by a feeling of oneness with God, the universe, or their abductors. Now, this is a result of a metaphysical change, a Stockholm-type syndrome, or prior medical tampering is often not scrutinized by the abductees at the time. And then, of course, there is the inevitable aftermath the abductee has to cope with the psychological, physical, and social effects of the experience. When describing a so-called abduction scenario, David Jacobs says the entire abduction event is precisely orchestrated. All the procedures are predetermined. No standing around deciding what to do next. The beings are task-oriented, and there's no indication whatsoever that we've been able to find of any aspect of their lives outside of performing the abduction procedures. You know, abduction claimants often report unusual feelings preceding the onset of an addiction experience. These feelings manifest as a compulsive desire to be at a certain place at a certain time or as expectations that something familiar yet unknown will soon occur. Abductees also report feeling severe, undirected anxiety at this point, even though nothing unusual has yet happened. This period of foreboding can last up to several days before the abduction actually takes place or in the may not um, manifest at all. Eventually, the experience will undergo an apparent shift into an altered state of consciousness. 
British abduction researchers have often called this change in consciousness the Oz factor. External sounds cease to have any significance to the experiencer and find a lot of perception. The report feeling introspective and unusually calm. This stage marks a transition from normal activity to a state of limited self-willed mobility. The um, as consciousness shifts, one more or more lights are alleged to appear, occasionally accompanied by a strange mist. Source and nature of the lights differ by report. Sometimes the light emanates uh, from a source outside the house, presumably the abductor's UFO, and sometimes the lights are in the bedroom with the experiencer and transform into alien figures. As the alleged abduction proceeds, claimants say they'll walk or be levitated into an alien craft in the latter case, often through solid objects such as walls, ceilings, or even a closed window. Alternatively, they may experience rising uh, through a tunnel or along a beam of light with or without the abductors accompanying them into the awaiting craft. Now, the examination phase of the so-called abduction narrative is characterized by the performance of medical procedures and examinations by apparent uh, alien beings against or irrespective of the will of the experiencer. The procedures often focus on sex and reproductive biology. However, the literature holds reports of a wide variety of procedures allegedly performed by the beings. And it appears to be in charge of the operations often taller than the others involved and are sometimes described as even appearing to be of a different species. Miller notes uh, different areas of emphasis between human medicine and what's reported as being practiced by the abductors. And this could result from a difference in the purpose of the examination, routine diagnosis or treatment versus scientific uh, examination of an unfamiliar species, or it could be due to a different level of technology that renders certain kinds of manual procedures unnecessary. The abductor's area of interest appears to be the cranium, the nervous system, skin, reproductive system, to a lesser degree, the joints. Systems given less attention than a human doctor would uh, or Omitted entirely include cardiovascular system, the respiratory system below the pharynx, and the lymphatic system. Abductors also appear to ignore the upper region of the abdomen in favor of the lower one. Abductors don't appear to wear gloves during the examination. Uh, other constraints of terrestrial medicine, like pills and tablets, are missing from abduction narratives, although sometimes abductees are asked to drink liquids. Ejections also seem to be rare, and IVs are almost completely absent. In fact, Dr. Miller said he never heard an abductee claim to have had a tongue depressor used on him. You know, after the so-called medical exam, the alleged abductees often report other procedures being performed with the, the entities. Common among these post-examination uh, procedures are what abduction researchers refer to as an imaging or envisioning, staging, and testing. Imaging procedures consist of an abductee being made to view screens displaying images and scenes that appear to be specifically chosen with the intent to provoke certain emotional responses in the abductee. Envisioning is a somewhat similar procedure with the primary difference being the images being viewed rather than being on a screen actually seem to be projected into the experiencer's mind. Then we've got the staging procedures which have the abductee playing a more active role according to reports that contain this particular element. It shares vivid hallucination-like mental visualizations with the envisioning procedures, but during staging, the abductee interacts with the illusionary scenarios like a role player or an actor. And testing 
marks something of a departure from the these procedures in that it lacks the emotional analysis feature. During testing, the experiencer is placed in front of a complicated electronic device and is instructed to operate it. Experiencers are often confused, saying that they don't know how to operate it, but uh, when they actually set about performing the task, they find that they do, in fact, know how to operate this particular machine. You know, abductees of all ages and genders sometimes report being subjected to a child presentation. As its name applies, the child presentation involves the abduction claimant being shown a child. And often the child appears to be either neither human nor the same species as the abductors. Instead, the child will almost always share characteristics of both species. These children are labeled by experiences as hybrids between humans and their abductors, usually the greys. Unlike Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs, folklorist uh, Thomas Bullard couldn't identify a child presentation phase in an abduction narrative even after undertaking the study of 300 abduction reports. Bullard says the child presentation seems to be an innovation in the story and no clear antecedents to, to descriptions of the child presentation phase exist before it was popularized by Hopkins and Jacobs. The... Uh, The um, there are certain less common elements in addition to the child presentation. Bullard also studied the 300 reports of alien abduction in an attempt to observe the less prominent aspects of the claims. He notes the emergence of four general categories of events that recur regularly, although not as frequently as stereotypical happenings like the medical examination. These four types of events are the conference, the tour, the journey, and the alphany. Chronologically, within abduction reports, these rare episodes tend to happen in the order that I've listed between the medical examination and the return. After allegedly displaying cold, callous disregard toward the abduction experiences, sometimes the entities will change drastically in behavior once the initial medical exam is completed. They tend to become more relaxed and hospitable toward their captives and lead them, uh, him or her away from the site of the examination. Then they hold a conference where they discuss things relevant to the abduction phenomena. Bullard notes five general categories of discussion that occurred during the conference phase of these reported abduction narratives. There's an interrogation session, explanatory segment, task assignment, warnings, and prophecies. Uh, tours of the abductor's craft are a rare but recurring feature of the abduction narrative. The tour seems to be given by the alleged abductors as a courtesy in response to the harshness and physical rigors of the forced medical exam. And sometimes the abductee reports traveling on a journey to orbit around the Earth or what appears to be other planets. Some abductees find that the experience is terrifying, particularly if the aliens are a more fearsome species if the abductee was subjected to extensive probing and medical testing. Eventually, the abductees were returned, the, uh, the abductors were returned the abductees to, to terra firma, usually to exactly the same location and circumstances they were in before being taken. Usually explicit memories of the abduction experience won't be uh, present. The abductee will only realize they've experienced missing time when they check their watch or other timepiece. Sometimes the alleged abductors 
appear to make mistakes when returning their captives. Bud Hopkins has joked about the, the cosmic application of Murphy's Law in response to this particular observation. He's estimated these errors accompany uh, four to five percent of abduction reports. One type of common apparent mistake made by the abductors is failing to return the experiencer to the same spot where they were taken. And this can be as simple as a different room in the same house where abductees can even find themselves outside and all the doors of the house are locked from the inside. And another common and amusing error seems to be putting the abductee's clothes on backward, such as pajamas. You know, physician and abduction researcher John Miller sees significance in the reason a person would come see themselves as being a victim of the abduction phenomena. He terms the insider development uh, leading to this shift in identity from non-abductee to abductee to realization event. Realization events often a single memorable experience, but Miller reports that not all abductees experience it as a distinct episode. Either way, the realization event can be thought of as a clinical horizon of the abduction experience. You know, most people alleging alien abductions report invasive examination of their bodies, and some ascribe uh, psychological trauma to these experiences. Alleged abductees uh, claim their memories of the abduction events have caused the post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD. Post-abduction syndrome is a term used by abductees to describe the effects of abduction, though it's not recognized by any professional treatment organization. The difference between PAS, or post-abduction syndrome, and PTSD is described as the reoccurrence of the phenomenon and ability to identify when the disorder started. And furthermore, the medical community considers PTSD as a severe debilitating uh, ailment where PAS has been promoted only by fringe researchers. You know, many alien abductees uh, recall much of their abduction through hypnosis. And because of this, it's claimed by some skeptics that the vast majority of evidence for alien abduction is based on memories recovered through hypnosis. And due to the extensive use of hypnosis, the abduction narratives are frequently examined and were explained away by skeptics as false memories, suggestions planted by the hypnotherapist. Alleged abductees seek out hypnotherapists to try to resolve issues such as missing time or unexplained physical symptoms such as muscle pain or headaches. This usually involves two phases, an information gathering stage in which the psychotherapists ask about unexplained illnesses and unusual phenomena during the patient's lives perhaps caused by uh, or distortions of the alleged abduction, followed by hypnosis and guided imagery to facilitate recall. Information gathering enhances the likelihood that the events discussed to be incorporated into later abduction memories. Now, seven steps are hypothesized to lead to the development of false memories. One, the person is predisposed to accept the idea that certain puzzling or Inexplicable experiences might be telltale signs of a UFO abduction. Two, the person seeks out a therapist whom he or she views as an authority and who is at the very least receptive to this explanation and has some prior familiarity with the UFO abduction experience. Three, alternately, the therapist frames the puzzling experiences in terms of an abduction narrative. Four, alternative explanations of the experience are not explored. Five, there's increasing commitment to the abduction explanation and increasing anxiety reduction associated with ambiguity uh, reduction. Six, the therapist legitimizes or ratifies the abductee's experience, which constitutes additional positive reinforcement 
And finding number seven, the clan adopts the role of the victim or abductee, which becomes integrated into the psychotherapy and the client's view of themselves. You know, Dr. John Mack counters this argument, noting it might be useful to restate that a large proportion of the material relating to abductions is recalled without the use of an altered state of consciousness, and many abduction reporters appear to relive powerful experiences after only the most minimal relaxation exercise, hardly justifying the term uh, hypnosis at all. Relaxation exercise is useful to relieve the experiences need to, to attend to the social demands and other stimuli of face-to-face conversation and to relive the, relieve the energies involved in repressing memories and emotions. There's been a variety of explanations offered for abduction phenomena, ranging from uh, sharply skeptical appraisals to uncritical acceptance of all abductee claims to the demonological or everything in between. Some have elected not to try explaining things, instead noting similarities to other phenomena or simply documenting the development of the alien abduction phenomena. Others are intrigued by the entire phenomena but hesitate in making any definitive conclusions. Uh, Dr. Mack concluded that the furthest you can go to this point is to say that there's an authentic mystery here, and that is, I think, as far as anybody ought to go. Putting aside the question of whether abduction reports are literally and objectively real, literature professor Dr. Terry Matheson argues their popularity and their intriguing appeal are easily understood. Tales of abduction are intrinsically absorbing. It's hard to imagine a more vivid description of human powerlessness. After experiencing the friction of delightful terror, one may feel uh, from reading ghost stories or watching horror movies. Uh, he notes that uh, people can return to the safe world of their homes, secure the knowledge that the phenomena in question can't follow them. But as the abduction myth is stated almost from the onset, there's no avoiding alien abductors. Matheson writes that when compared to the earlier contactee reports, abduction accounts are distinguished by their relative sophistication Subtlety, which enables them to enjoy an immediately more fable reception from the public. You know, it's been argued that if actual flesh and blood aliens are abducting humans, there should be some hard evidence that this is occurring. Proponents of the physical reality of the abduction experience have suggested ways this could conceivably confirm abduction reports. One procedure reported occurring uh, during the alleged exam phase of the experience is the insertion of a long needle-like uh, contraption into a woman's navel. Some have speculated this could be a form of laparoscopy. If that's true, then after the abduction, there should be uh, free gas in the female's abdomen, which could be seen on an x-ray. The presence of the free gas would uh, be ex- extremely abnormal and would uh, help substantiate the claim of some sort of procedure being done to her. Now, there have been a number of notable abduction claims. 1956, Elizabeth Clara in South Africa. 57 was the famed Antonio Villas Bolas in Brazil. 1961, Betty and Barney Hill in the U.S. 67, the Schremer abduction in the U.S. 1973, the Pascagoula abduction in the U.S. 1975, the Travis Walton abduction. I know Travis. He's an interesting character. 1976, Allagash abductions in the U.S., 1978, the Valentic disappearance in Australia. 1979, the Robert Taylor incident in Scotland. 1970s uh, through the 80s, the Whitley Strieber uh, interaction with the aliens. 
1990, Danielle Ignu in the U.S. 1994, Ming Zagao incident in China. And 1997, the Kherson, uh, among those in Russia. You know, after you read Vampires, Werewolves, and Things Go Bump in the Night, it should become clear there are things in the world that we just don't understand. There are many things that go bump in the night of which we have absolutely no understanding. And whether it's a vampire, a werewolf, shadow people, or aliens running under your bedroom in the middle of the night, our homes are not their proverbial castle we've always thought they were. At any moment, our world can be invaded by something from the the other where, and many times people have a psychological uh, problem with those examination with those uh, instances. Well, we've come to the end of tonight's show. We'll be back tomorrow. Once again, you'll be listening to Ken Hudnall on the Ken Hudnall Show. Until then, have a truly great evening. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.